0: Hi everyone, so today I want to talk to you about our new newsletter, which is going to be released today at uh, 1pm UK time, so be on the lookout for this, and it's focused on um, whether at the moment the current legal framework in the music industry forces artists to actually hand out songwriting credits to competitor musicians, so it's an art, It's a it's a it's a quite an in-depth article, but at the same time, it's quite funny. It's quite quirky because I have included all these um, all these uh, basically music tracks to show you uh, what I mean by giving you a definition of sampling, by giving you a definition of interpolation. And, uh, and also by explaining to you, you know, where there are some borderline cases in terms of uh, copyright infringement, uh, uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera, and where also the um, current case law stands, um, in particular from a U.S. law standpoint. Because most of these big stakes, uh, legal cases are actually trialed in California most of the time. And uh, prominently, the uh, Ninth Secret Court of Appeal of the state of California comes over and over and back over and over, uh, having to take, you know, some decisions on all these cases. So, in a nutshell, in relation to this topic, whether um, in the current music ecosystem, artists have to hand out songwriting credits... Um, The first point is actually to uh, 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 speak about the um, landmark case in relation to sampling, uh, which uh, was the O'Sullivan versus J. Sharkey. I think the rapper was called J. Sharkey, B. Sharkey, back in 1991. So O'Sullivan was an Irish... um, performer, quite famous, I think, in the 70s and the 80s, and he released a track, a song called Alone Again, Naturally, and Jay Sharkey, in a very cheeky way, uh, also uh, released a song called Alone Again, and then he goes, Alone Again, Naturally, so O'Sullivan who uh, had not been contacted prior to the release of B Sharkey's uh, track a- alone again filed a lawsuit in the US against B Sharkey because he um deemed but um, he alleged that um, B Sharkey had actually uh lifted um i uh, infringed on uh, his uh, copyright in relation to well, first the lyrics "Alone Again," naturally, and also on some portions, uh, some portions of the music composition, uh, which are repeated in a loop in the Jay Sharkey "Alone Again" track. And actually, the U.S. court dis- gave, gave uh, uh, basically gave reason to uh, to O'Sullivan and um decided that from now on samplers so songwriters who make common use of sampling and samples in um in venue uh, in venue um, uh, songs uh, need to obtain the prior consent from the um from the original songwriter and um and also owner of the um Master recording of the uh, of a sample that they uh, they want to use and to uh, insert in their track. So let me just take a step back here and explain to you the difference between copyright on um, music composition and uh, copyright on uh, on the masters. In music law, there are two types of copyright. There's the copyright which belongs to the songwriters, the lyricists, and uh, the publishers, which is on the, on the musical composition and the lyri- lyrics. And that is called, usually, the publishing rights. The second copyright is the copyright which is allocated to the owner of a sound recording, so when you record the track, right, it creates a sound recording, and so there's this copyright on that, and um, the uh, copyright on the sound recording usually belongs to the performer, obviously who performs the track, as well as um, the label because the label just produced everything, and so that is called the master, the, ma- the master copyright, the um, yeah, the copyright on the masters. So when you sample, you use an actual uh, existing sound recording which is based on some lyrics and uh, some musical composition created by some lyricists as well as some uh, uh, songwriters. So you need to clear two licenses, you need to obtain two licenses from the owners of the uh, publishing copyright as well as the owners from the master copyright. So obviously when this landmark, ruling uh, was handed down back in nineteen ninety one on the o'Sullivan b Sharky case this created like a a, uh, a massive you know uh tide of <laughs> uh, of uh, surprise in especially in the um, rap and uh, hip hop community because um uh, the, these artists use sampling a lot they use a lot of samples in the um in the uh, in their tracks but not only but um uh, for example uh there's quite a lot of sampling also being used in 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 pop or electronic music but in in particular uh, hip hop and rap um musicians do use quite a lot of samples and after the 1991 ruling, it became just too expensive, most of the time, to actually obtain some um, some pre clearance, some some licenses for both the um, uh, the um, uh, songwriting as well as the uh, the masters. So, so, some artists like Doctor Dre, for example, started using less and less uh, samples, just focusing the um, their new musical compositions, of just one or two ch- choice samples, the best samples, and then um, and then wor- working on it with that because sometimes they were f- confronted to. They were confronted to um, songwriters, I mean writers who were asking them for even sometimes one hundred percent of a credit. So when you say one hundred percent of a credit, it means you guys who are creating my. Uh, my, uh, uh, this new song, using my sample, you're not going to get any uh, publishing rights. I'm going to get 100%. And some very prominent artists like um, Bob Dylan and the Rolling Stones in particular are famous for doing this. Yeah? They're taking either 100% or in the case of Bob Dylan, I think he, he, uh, he, he negotiated 50% of the, uh, of the uh, publishing rights, which, which is a lot, a lot. But then they're like, yeah, but you're using the prestige, you know, of Bob Dylan. You're using the prestige of uh, Rolling Stone. So your song is going to become a hit thanks to that. So, you know, you should thank us and uh, not the other way around. So, okay, so basically coming back to Dr. Dre, what he did as well is that he started doing a lot of interpolation. So what is interpolation? It's the the use of um, only the sound recording and lyrics of a particular extract, a particular um, sample, a particular extract, but not the sound recording. So I repeat, it's the use of the lyrics and the... um, Did I say the song recording? I I, I said incorrectly. The use of the lyrics and the uh, musical composition of a particular song... But not the sound recording. So if you do that, if you do interpolation, therefore you only have to secure a license with the um, with, for the publishing rights, i.e. with the songwriters and the publishers. So that's less expensive because you don't have to ask a license to master, to the owners of the master recording. And so interpolation became quite a thing um, after the 1991 landmark ruling I just mentioned. And for example. Eminem, in his, uh, in his famous track, you know, sound Shady, um, he actually used an interpolation from another track. Uh, I mean, do look up uh, uh, my article and you will be able to click on the link and see exactly what I mean. It's pretty plain when, and, and clear when you, when you read the article. But uh, Eminem, who actually was produced by Dr. Dre, um, used in one of his uh, biggest and... Uh, earliest hits this uh, technique of interpolation to a lot of success so things were to a degree pretty clear on how it used to work in the uh, you know music clearance business up to the bloodline case oh and by the way there were also some hurdles along the way for example the uh, bittersweet symphony case um, which is the verve against uh, the Rolling Stones. So, what happened there? In 1993, Richard Ashcroft, a uh, successful frontman of The Verve and as well as songwriter and uh, singer, um, created the Bittersweet Symphony, the aptly named Bittersweet Symphony, um, in which he actually sampled an extract from a very famous hit of the Rolling Stones. Um, it was a basically a reprise. Of this, uh, of this hit from the Rolling Stones by uh, the Andrew Luce, Andrew Luce uh, Orchestra or something. So it goes, tan, 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 dan, the bittersweet symphony. But anyway, so there is a, a famous sample from uh, from uh, the Rolling Stones in there. And um, some other samples had uh, been put into the bittersweet symphony, but it didn't really work out. So they actually went back to the original idea with this um, sample from uh, from the Rolling Stones' interpretation by Andrew Luce. and what happened is that you know the, the record on which the Beatles' Sweet Symphony had to be released was about to was about to come out, right? So oh, and then they think, oh, by the way, we need to actually, you know, clear a license with the Stones, with Keith Richards and Mick Jagger, who are the songwriters for for this particular for this particular big hit that they uh, they lifted in the Beatles' Sweet Symphony, and so due to timing issues and them. Not uh you know the Verve's management not really anticipating anything, they went at the eleventh hour to the Stones, and in particular to the Stones manager, Alan Klein, I think, at the time, and the guy just did them over big time. why? Because he actually asked on behalf of uh, Jagger and uh, Richards one hundred percent of a of a song of a publishing rights, so up until two years ago I think to 2019 Richard Ashcroft had zero zero publishing royalties in relation to his uh, massive success bittersweet symphony two years ago what happened is that Richards and uh, and Jagger finally came to their senses you know at last realizing that what they did was just fucked up and they actually uh, transferred the uh, ownership of the songwriting Um, back to uh, Richard Ashcroft you know allegedly as set out in a lot of articles so anyway as I was saying there were quite a lot of hurdles along the road as I just explained with this uh, bittersweet symphony case which was indeed very bitter for Mr Ashcroft Uh, but but I mean all in all things were clear you had to actually do pre-clearance before issuing the track if you were using some sampling uh, with the um, owners of the of the uh, musical composition and and lyrics, as well as the um, owners of the sound recordings, if you are using a sample, and with the owners of the uh, songwriting and... uh, Sorry, of of the musical composition and the lyrics, in in case you were using interpolation. And things actually changed dramatically with a bloodline case, which was concluded in 2018, if I remember well. So what happened there? As we all know, because it was still very recent in our memory, Farrow Williams, Robin Fick, and T.I. released back in 2000, uh, I think it was 14, 13, 14, Bloodlines, which was a massive success. And, um, Immediately the uh, estate and family of Marvin Gaye the um, songwriter on Got To Give It Up um, started making some public allegations that the song "Bloodlines" uh, infringed on the copyright of uh, the Marvin Gaye estate um, in relation to Got To Give It Up, the song Got To Give It Up. So annoyed by these claims, um which seemed pretty um unsubstantiated at the time because uh, perhaps bloodlines has got a similar like a, like a, a, a similar feel a similar groove um a, a similar you know yeah feel to um uh, got to give it up but no no um uh, musical composition no lyrics are the same at all um even the sound recording sounds different. So it seemed pretty insubstantiated, these claims that uh, there was any um, uh, copyright infringement in this particular s- situation. So the three songwriters of uh, Blurred Lines, Farrell Williams, Robin Fick and T.I., the rapper, um, actually um, filed a lawsuit, again in California, in order to obtain a preliminary judgment which um, confirmed that there were there was no infringement. Unfortunately for them, the uh, the court and the judge in particular found four the defendants of the Marvin Gay family, the gay family, and said that um, the defendants had uh, provided enough uh, um, enough um, elements uh, uh, evidencing that there was indeed some uh, some uh, some potential infringement. Of copyright in this matter. So, on this, on this, and since also the gay family uh, filed some counterclaims, the, um, the case proceeded to trial. And the um, jury handed down its uh, verdict, uh, by which it actually found Farrell Williams and uh, Robin Thicke, not T.I., those two ones, songwriters only, Thicke and Williams, Uh, liable for um, infringement, so infringement of a groove, of of a feel, this is just like, um, so it's, it's, usually you say that copyright is the um, protection of tangible output from creativity, it's not, um, copyright is not the protection of an idea, but in this particular case, it's extremely borderline, as you can see. I mean, I can say there's copyright on the groove, on the feel, it's just unbelievable. So, anyway, the jury verdict found for uh, the gay family and allocated, uh, awarded them $7.3 million of damages and, and profits, which is massive uh, in view of this case. And um, of course, uh, the three songwriters for Bloodline appealed. And in appeal, the um, damages were reduced to $5.3 million, but still the jury verdict was actually affirmed by the um, Ninth Court of Appeal, uh, Ninth Secret Court of Appeal of California. And, And that's that, really. And so in 2018, the case was finalised and Fick um, and uh, Williams had to pay 5.3 million dollars to the uh, gay state uh, which actually sued Robert Williams, uh, no, sorry Farrell Williams for I think perjury or something but that failed, it was rejected by the, uh, by the, by the judge found that uh, they couldn't uh, bring any um, appropriate evidence of uh, uh, Williams of perjury in court and, um, and that was that. But this particular case, this particular ruling, Bloodlines, really sent a shockwave through the um, the music industry, because then it meant that everybody could come at you and say, oh, by the way, your your new track here, which is a hit, well, it's actually, you know, a copy of uh, the groove and the feel in my song from like the uh, 1970s or something, and this is happening, this is what is happening at the moment that uh, every time that there is, you know, a song which becomes a hit, you've got potentially a raft of uh, competitors, uh, performers, songwriters coming, knocking at the door and saying, hey, hand, hand out a credit here because you copied my groove, you copied my feel. And so, I mean, of course, in these cases, which are called fair use cases, okay, so uh, fair use as in... Do, am I using this particular uh, extract, this particular sample in fair use? Or so these cases, so this is fair use is a concept under common law, um, and in the U.S., um, it's pretty much it's used quite a lot in these uh, music, music, uh, you know, litigation cases. And so, on these fair use cases, fair use cases, um, they are decided on a case-by-case basis. Okay, so there's no um the outcome is not known in the beginning it depends on the evidence which is shown during the the trial during the uh during yeah during the trial it depends on the testimony testimonies given during the uh the court hearings um so that's why it's called case by case basis yes and there are two big lawsuit, which came after the uh, bloodline case, which show that, you know, it, it, it's not, it's not a basically, um, a, a, you know, a free for all, like, it's not now that the, that the new, sorry, legal framework in the music industry is not um, anyone can come at you and claim a music credit. Um, these two cases I'm going to talk about just basically tone down the effect of the bloodline cases. And so these are the Katy Perry versus Page, uh, sorry, Page versus Katy Perry et al. case, which relates to um, some alleg- allegations of um, copyright infringement on, uh, on uh, of, of the song Dark Horse, which was uh, released by uh, Katy Perry in the... Uh, a few years ago, in the around probably around 2015 16, and there is an ostinato. So, so, that's an ostinato, okay? It's like a musical term which has been going on, you know, for ages since the Renaissance, really, even probably before. And so, this is used throughout the track in Dark Horse um, as a bass, really, as a so it comes back and then back and in a loop. And there's a a sort of Christian band uh, called Flame, um, which approached Perry and the team and said, hey, you lifted that ostinato from actually our track. Um, I can't remember the name of the track, which basically had uh, 300 views on SoundCloud before um, before they filed um, some summons against Perry. So... Um, Perry said that to her that she had never heard that they track, obviously since I'm done 300 views and only, only uh, 300 clicks on SoundCloud. And so they sued um, a Flame, this Christian group. But um, uh, again, the, uh, the courts in California uh, looked at this case and they decided that the two-part uh, test was uh showed that there were there were basically the uh, flame couldn't make couldn't show that um that uh, perry had had access to their music firstly and also that uh, this particular ostinato had enough um originality to be deemed to be protected by copyright why because it's been as i said used by um um, uh, uh, songwriters and musical composers um, throughout the ages for, you know, hundreds of years and, and, um, and centuries. So on the back of that, even, even though the jury verdict found for the claimants, for, for, for Sage and for, for, for the group Flame, for the band Flame, um, the judge uh, who um, looked into the case after the jury verdict, you know, um, decided that uh, no, penalty, no 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 damages were due. Uh, 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 by Pet, Perry and the team to um, to flame because they couldn't, the uh, the claimants couldn't prove um, the um, originality of this uh, ostinato being protected by copyright. So they, it was not protected by copyright, and also because um, the defendants did not have access to their music before the um, before the uh, uh, the um, a lawsuit. So that was that case on um, uh, dark horse just turned down the uh, message um, projected out there by the bloodline case. And then there was the um, Stairway to Heaven case, whereby the uh, estate of... um, What was the name of this guy? Can't remember. So the estate of a um, a guy who had uh, 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 wrote a song called Taurus... And they had opened actually for the um, for the um, for the band um, Led Zeppelin back in the seventies. This particular band, and um, so uh, so the case was basically that um, uh, the song from this uh, this band um, was w- Taurus um, had been infringed. By Jimmy Page and Robert Plant, the songwriters for uh, Led Zeppelin, in their very famous track Stairway to Heaven. So it's basically the. So it's, you know. And um, listen to those two tracks. There are actually some URL links to, um, to those two tracks on, on uh, YouTube in my article, which is going to be, as I said, released by World Newsletter and social media this afternoon. And, um, and yeah. And so, again, Same outcome that in Dark Horse, the the US court, which had been uh, asked to look at this matter, decided against the claimant, uh, founding that they uh, didn't have any substantial evidence um, showing that there was uh, some um, real similarities between the the, 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 the particular extract of a track from the Taurus,